Man, thank you all so much. These guys brought some joy this morning, didn't we? All right. Especially if you didn't have joy after that second song, something's wrong with you, right? Thank you all so much. We had uh, Ashton, our drummer, had gotten COVID, so some of the family had, man, these guys just stepped in, and I'm so thankful for people who are blessed and talented and are willing to share it with others. So thank you all so much this morning. You brought joy, certainly. Well, as we lit the joy candle this morning, that's our theme today. And joy, if you think about it, is really something that we wait for. It's something that we've expected. It's something that we've been anticipating, something we've longed for. And then when it actually comes, there's this experience of joy. It's been waiting for this, and it finally has, has happened. And so we talked about the first two weeks of Advent. James shared with us about hope, that in Jesus coming into the world, he brought hope. Last week, I talked about love, and ultimately, that hope was in through Jesus and his love to actually become one of us and ultimately give his life so that we could experience real life and eternal life. That showed love. And then oh, uh, this, this next week is, is today is hope. And it's something that we can't see sometimes, but it's something that we long for. And it usually involves something we love or something we love. Now, I want you to think about this. When, when you're waiting on somebody to get to your house or you're waiting for someone to get to the airport, and you remember, I remember thinking about when I was waiting for my grandparents to get to our house on Christmas, and then all of a sudden you're looking out the window, y'all remember those days, and you're looking out the window and all of a sudden you go, they're here, and everybody jumps up and runs outside. We remember the joy that we experience when someone that we long for, that we love, arrives and they're here. And I think about other things in life. Uh, a girl gets the ring. She goes, I got the ring. And everybody's excited about that. They know what's coming next. And then the guy's going, she said yes, which is always a good thing. You know, you want them to say yes if you're going to give her the ring. And you experience those joys. You think about some other things. I got the job. I made the team. We got the deal. I got the promotion. I passed the test. We got the house. As I say all those things, you can remember in your lives in the different seasons of your life when joy has come, right? Because it was something you were anticipating, but then when it finally comes, there's this joy that, that comes over you. And so that's our theme for today. Now, giving you those word pictures uh, about what joy is, I think those maybe help you a little bit connect with uh, our theme for the day, joy. But I think this little clip I'm getting ready to show right now, to me, personifies what joy is. Let's watch this real quick. Okay, wait, wait, Macy, come here, come back. Okay, oh, how do you get in it now? Can you knock on it? Say cookies. Okay, is that joy or what, right? I just, I love that clip and I wanted to share that because when you see that little girl, no, I don't know how long she hadn't seen her daddy, but when she saw him, I mean, joy, joy, and daddy seeing her, that's, that's what joy is. So this morning, I want us to look at a, a text from 
the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. And as, as you hear this, you probably go, I don't remember hearing that one during Christmas because there is a lot of verses that Isaiah as a prophet pointed to Christ. A lot of prophecies that were fulfilled in the book of Isaiah. But this one is a little different, but I want you to listen for the word joy and the word rejoice as I read this this morning. Isaiah 35, I think it's going to be on the screen. Thank you. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now again, this may not be the Isaiah passage that you're used to hearing at Christmas, but it's the same prophet prophesying what will come. And you may have thought about um, this for a minute, and I want you to think about this for a minute, that Isaiah, you don't know if you know what his job was, was to be a prophet. That means God told him what was going to happen, and he had to tell this news to the people. And a lot of times, the news was not good news. It was about, you are my people, and you've broken the covenant, and because of that, there's going to be some punishment because of that. And people go, that'll never happen, Isaiah. We're God's people. God's going to always protect us. He goes, no, there's punishment coming if you don't turn back to God. That was part of his job. But there's also many prophecies and predictions about not only the birth of Jesus that Isaiah specifically makes, but also of his life and his death that brings that salvation and that redemption. So many so that some have called Isaiah the evangelical prophet or this book the fifth gospel because it talks and predicts of Jesus so much. And what makes it even more astounding is that do you realize when Isaiah predicted these things that God gave him, it was 700 years before Jesus came. Now think about that. How is something that was told 700 years ago can be predicted to come true that far in, in the future? But Isaiah is 66 chapters long, and many of those chapters, as I told you, predict this punishment that's coming on specifically on Judah and Jerusalem, and the people that said it would never happen. In the next 100 years, they were on this slow train to that destruction, and ultimately it did come true in 586 B.C., and Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed by their enemies, just as Isaiah predicted. That was only 100 years, but then another 600 years, and all these things about Jesus would come true. Now, Jesus himself uh, referred to um, 
Jesus, uh, Jesus himself referred to Isaiah in the Gospels many times, predicting things. He talked about alternative hope for the future. And that's what a prophet in the Old Testament always does. He talks about the alternative hope for the future. Yes, God is serious, and there will be repercussions for this breaking of the covenant and continuing to turn away from him. But when he does restore you and forgive you and show you grace... There is this alternative hope for the future now that we can be restored in relationship. And that brings salvation. And Jesus himself referred to Isaiah many times in the Gospels, emphasizing the validity and power of God's word through Isaiah from the past. A lot of y'all know who Charles Swindoll is. He says this about the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah provides us with the most comprehensive prophetic prophetic picture of Jesus Christ in the entire Old Testament. It includes the full scope of his life, the announcement of his coming in Isaiah 40, his virgin birth in Isaiah 7, his proclamation of the good news in Isaiah 61, his sacrificial death in Isaiah 52 and 53, and his return to claim his own people in Isaiah chapter 60. Because of these numerous and other texts in Isaiah, this book stands as a testament of hope in the Lord, the one that saves his people from themselves. Now, as I talk about things like prophecies and predicting the future and 700 years and nothing happens, and then all of a sudden these things happen exactly as they were told, some of you kind of go, yeah, whatever. I know some of you are skeptical that may be here today. Is that really true? I know people say those things, but is that really true? Can you really make what Isaiah said 700 years actually, you know, shore up with what Jesus actually did in the first century. Is that possible? Well, I want to say this to you today. There's nothing wrong with having doubts. There's nothing wrong with asking um, authentic questions and being authentically skeptical. There's nothing wrong with that. God welcomes that. He wants you to know him and who he is. But here's the thing. It's not good enough just to say, I'm going to be a skeptic my whole life. Because your salvation and your eternal destiny is too important just to let yourself be skeptical. So I encourage you, if you're here today and you're one of those people, find out. Do your research. It would be like, we've got a vaccine that's out right now for the COVID. Is that right? Now, how many of you are absolutely certain you're going to take it? Well, you can take it first. Let me see what happens to you. But my point is, is you're going to do some research and you're going to think this through before you actually take the vaccine. And what I'm saying is your salvation, your eternal destiny matters so much. And for us just to say, I don't know if all that stuff in the Bible is true and I'm a little skeptical. And you're just going to go through life and be skeptical. No, you need to decide today, now. And what better time to do it than during this Christmas season when we're talking about the one who came and was predicted 700 years ago. And he came just as he said he would. Walter C. Kaiser wrote this. There is no finer teacher on whether Jesus is to be found on the pages of the Old Testament than the teaching of Jesus himself. He said, I am predicted in those old scriptures. He said in John 5, 39, you, the Jewish people he was talking to, you diligently study the scriptures, and these are the scriptures that testify about me. And he says, that should settle the question. But even more famously, if you remember at Easter, we read this passage that I'm getting ready to read a lot. Because if you remember, after Jesus' resurrection, there were these two guys, disciples of Jesus, were walking to Emmaus. And as they're walking, someone comes up behind them, and it's Jesus, and they don't recognize him at first. And they're talking about all these things, and they go, what are you talking about? And they go, haven't you heard all these things that have been happening, this Jesus of Nazareth? We thought he was going to be the one that was the Messiah, but now he's been crucified. And then this is what Luke 24 says. 
How foolish, Jesus is talking to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. Can you imagine, of all the sermons I could hear in history, this would be the sermon I'd want to hear. Jesus himself saying from Moses, I'm going all the way back to Moses and I'm going to walk you through exactly and all the other prophets and I'm going to walk you through to why I had to come and how I had to die and why I had to die and why I had to resurrect and it's all going to be. And you know, we, they walked on with him and they said, how did we not know it was him? Because our hearts inside of us burned. We knew there was something. And as we read those words this morning, you probably noticed the words rejoice and rejoice uh, several times in the passage I read from Isaiah. Joy at the advent, the coming, the arrival of true redemption into the world for all people. Now, when we really grasp and comprehend redemption, and when I say redemption, that sounds like an old gospel word, doesn't it? Redemption, what does that even mean? When we think about redeeming a coupon, redeeming something, but redemption for my life, think about that. There needed to be a redemption for your life and for my life. Do we realize that? Do we realize we were eternally lost from God without that redemption of Jesus Christ? That's why he had to come. And if we don't really uh, believe that with all our hearts, unmistakably realize that that brings me joy every day of my life, then why doesn't it? Why don't we have joy in our redemption? Maybe it's because we don't really believe we need redeeming. Well, I'm a good person. I don't really need redeeming. I mean, yeah, I've done some things, but I'm a good person. I got this, God. You take care of the real problems in the world. Because the real problems, you know, injustice, political unrest, poverty, all these things that are going on, the, the coronavirus, you need to take care of that. But I'm a pretty good person. Don't worry about me, the good person. Worry about the bad people. And we miss the point. Because the reality is there is no one good. And we say this all the time. Oh, I'm, I'm not perfect like we need to qualify that. <laughs> oh, I thought you were, you know. No, we th- no, there is no one good, but we say, I'm a good person. No, Jesus himself said when someone started that with him one day, good teacher, he goes, why do you call me good? There is no one good but who? God. And that's why we need to be restored to God. We need to be resurrected Or maybe I don't really believe that I can deserve that redemption. Or I believe that somehow I've got to get my life together and be more spiritual or religious or something before I receive that redemption. And that's a lie from Satan. He wants you to believe that you will never be good enough and he wants to keep you from taking hold of that redemption that should bring you joy in your life. But the good news of the gospel is this. The redemption that we needed and that we need has already been done D-O-N-E. Do you realize that? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection brings you redemption. You can do a lifetime of good works that points to that, but that's not what's going to bring you redemption. It's already been done. That's the good news of the gospel. I just receive it through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. We simply in faith, what do we do? We trust that Jesus has redeemed us once and for all. Humbly, we recognize, I can't redeem myself. Even with a lifetime of good works, I'm not going to redeem myself. I needed a redeemer, a savior, and that's why Jesus had to come. 
And once we receive and embrace that redemption, we confess Christ. And you, a lot of y'all have done that already in your life. You stood somewhere at some point in your life, maybe just knelt uh, at your bedside or wherever it was, outside, no matter where it was, and you said, Lord, come into my life, forgive me, redeem me. I need your forgiveness and your grace, and I want that eternal life that you bring through your, through your death and your resurrection. Some of us have done that, and we decide to be a true, authentic follower of Christ. And then we're baptizing to Christ. And we bury that old life, burying that old attempt at trying to redeem ourselves through our good works, or burying our pursuit of trying to find joy outside of God. Do you realize how much we do this in our, in our culture right now? We are looking all over the place to try to find some kind of a joy outside of God. And when God sees us trying to find joy outside of Him, and without Him in the picture, He goes, why are you doing this? I have created everything. Does that, can you even wrap your head around that? God has created everything. And He says, I want you to have these things. But when you try to do these things and have these things outside of me, you're never going to experience true joy. You need that redemption that I bring. And so Jesus resurrects us into a new person with a new life in Christ. And that should bring true, authentic joy into our lives. And Jesus came to bring redemption to the whole world. The whole world was and is fallen. Have you all recognized that? Have you noticed that the world has fallen? And every part of this world needs redeeming. Every person needs redeeming. I want to read a part of our text again. Did you hear in our text today this reference of how even nature needs redeeming? The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Plants are shouting for joy. That's exactly what he's saying because God made them and they, they glorify God. The glory of Lebanon will be given to the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. And even if you don't know what those places are, where those places are, they were these fertile valleys that everybody that's listening that understands that these valleys are like they are. They point to God and His glory. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Nature needs redeeming. Yes, because we live in a broken world, don't we? Because of sin. When we brought sin into the world, it as a broken world now, even nature, even animals, all of that needs redeeming. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Romans. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated, listen to this, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, we're in bondage, y'all, to decay. Do you realize that? Anybody got older and hadn't noticed that? <laughs> We're in decay, and all you young people are going, that ain't going to happen to me. I know, I used to say that too, and it's happening to me. Okay? It happens. We're in bondage to decay, but we are looking forward to this freedom of this glory. And then Paul says in verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Do you groan? Has anybody not groaned in 2020, right? We groan. You know, why do we groan, y'all? Why do we groan inwardly? It says all of creation groans. Have you seen a tree that's dying and it's groaning? What? But you look at that and say, that's not what that tree should be. And we all, in our world, we look around at some point and go, what is going on? 
this is not right. This shouldn't be this way. Surely this isn't what God meant for our world and for our families and for our lives. Has anybody done that? Of course we do. And that's what Paul says in the first century. He's saying, I was doing that. We're all doing that. The world is groaning that it shouldn't be. There's something better. And God's going, of course. I always wanted that for you. But you chose sin. You wanted to be God. And now we're separated, so I need to bring you redemption. And one day, all of that's going to be redeemed. The world, the people, everybody will be redeemed. And we understand that concept. And it reminds us that we should be eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons, our redemption. We see this effects of the broken world. And we see this brokenness, and we shake our heads, and we shouldn't be this way. And God goes, I know. And it's not always going to be this way, but you have to understand this redemption And you need that redemption. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, if you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Y'all know that. And there's a lot of people telling you a bunch of stuff out there that somehow the world's going to be redeemed through politicians or this program or that program or whatever it is. That ain't going to happen. They can't redeem the world. It's only through Christ. That should bring us joy, realizing that Christ, we have been set free, we have been adopted, and we have received that redemption in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, in reality, we know that redemption will only be fully fulfilled in Jesus when his second coming comes. Y'all realize that? We celebrated Advent, the coming of Jesus, and you go, but that's already happened. So we're reflecting back, right, to the past. Yes, but there's a future when Jesus promised he will come again. And y'all better believe that's going to happen. We anticipate that, and we should be anticipating that with joy as we eagerly await. It won't all come to, the redemption won't be final until he comes back, but he is coming back. And Jesus says, you know, that this is, this is something that's absolutely going to happen. And in reality, that redemption will not be fully anticipated till he comes back. But we are not to wander through life with doom and gloom and attitude, constantly point out how the whole world's going to hell on a runaway train. Like we want it to be that way. No, we don't. We want people to come to that redemption. When I was growing up at camp, we had this song. And I'm going out on a limb here. There was a few people that recognized it in the first service. So hopefully some of y'all will or I'll look like a total idiot up here. But I'm okay. We had this song that says, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Oh, good. Y'all know it, all right? You remember singing that when you were a little kid at camp? Down, and I remember being little and in junior church, growing up at church, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And we loved to scream, where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And we'd split it up. The girls would do this part. And the I mean, y'all remember that? And you remember when you were a little kid, you don't care how stupid you look singing. You don't care how off key you are saying where or joy, joy. You don't care. You just are so excited that you're singing with your friends and we're glorifying God. And it's kind of freeing, isn't it? And some of you right now, we're going, man, he ain't going to sing that, is he? Because I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that wear apart. That's just stupid. We don't do that in church. What has happened to us? Is that not true? When you were a little kid, you got so excited about Christmas, and some of us as adults go, yeah, I just wish it would hurry up and be over. Now, I lost my dad this week, um, this year, so I can say this. It's difficult after you've lost somebody during the holidays. I understand all of that. But if we can't really understand what true joy is in the spite of these things that happen and understand what redemption really is, then we really don't understand joy. And we need to grasp that, especially at this, at this time uh, in life. And we among people of the world ought to display authentic joy more than anybody else. 
People ought to see that from us more than anybody else in the world from Christians. If they see people who call on the name of Jesus just saying, oh no, what are we going to do? The whole world's falling apart. Man, they're going, why would I want to be a part of that? They need to see authentic joy regardless of our circumstances to point the world that takes notice of why do you have joy? How can you have joy facing what you're, you're facing? You know, Diane, I don't mean to call you out, but I'm going to call you out. Diane, every Sunday, y'all know what Diane is there anybody more joyful in worship than Diane? And let me tell you, I know what's going on in Diane's life, and some of it is difficult stuff. And every Sunday when she comes, she is joyful. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for that. Absolutely. And that's what I'm talking about. People need to see that. Because sometimes I go, man, how does she do that? How does she do that? Because she's got the true joy of Jesus in her heart. And this is where we look to the prophet Isaiah who had to present the reality. Do y'all realize how hard his job was to go to people and say, this great nation of Israel is going to fall. You're an idiot, Isaiah. That's never going to happen. He goes, no, it's going to happen. And he gives these predictions that God told him to say. He's like, God, do I really have to say that? Yeah, you really have to say that. And he had to say it, and people didn't want to hear it. And he said, oh, you're just negative. And it all came to pass. He had to share that. But he boldly shared the bad news, but he always, always, always shared the, the alternative hope for the future that would come as a result of God's redemptive plan for the future. And I know I am scared today. Are y'all scared? When this thing first started in March, I think it was months before I knew one single person that had COVID. Y'all remember that? You go, I don't know anybody that's got it. And now it's like, man, it's hitting home. There's been several people in our church. We got some people in our church right now in the hospital that we're really concerned about. It's the real deal, isn't it? And it makes us scared. Some of the stuff that's going on in our country makes us angry it makes us anxious about our world right now. And there is this pandemic that continues to spread, this political division that seems to be uh, to separate us more than it ever has in history. There's a sense that our nation is spinning out of control. And who do you trust? Who do you trust? I don't know who to trust. There's one group saying this, one group saying that. If y'all notice those political ads, I can't wait till that's over. And this is where we think about Isaiah's world. Man, there was crazy stuff going on. In his world, there was political unrest. There was sin going on. There was corrupt um, political leaders. There was, there was disease and things that were killing people. And into that world, he pointed people to God's redemption, even in the midst of all of that. This was the world that Jesus was born into, y'all. Think about when Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph, what was going on? The political climate was very tense. The, the, the leader of the modern world, Rome, says we're going to have a census for the entire world. You think there weren't some conspiracy theories about that? Well, they're going to get our name and they're going to follow us everywhere and know what we're doing. And people didn't want it. Why do I have to go to my hometown? People were scared about that. Mary and Joseph were in this world when Jesus was born. Their world had been turned upside down. I just want to get married and have a, have a kid. And now all of a sudden the angel comes to me and tells me I'm going to have a baby. And I have to convince my husband to be because he's like, I know we didn't do that. How is there a baby? And you're telling people the Lord's going to, through the Holy Spirit, impregnate me. Sure, that's what happened. Can you imagine how their world turned upside down? There was danger, injustice, uncertainty. And yet God said to each person that heard the coming of Jesus into the world, what did he say to them? Fear not. Why did he say fear not? Because I know you're scared. I know you live in this broken world, but there's something coming that's going to be good news of great. Good news of great what? Joy, that's right. And that joy is going to change the world. And that joy, he said, is for all people. 
So I want us to listen one more time to the end of this Isaiah passage. I'm just going to read it again, but listen this time. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs and the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be there for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighting will flee away. Isaiah is saying it's not always going to be like this. There's this alternative hope for the future. So I ask you this morning, I ask myself, how are you and I moving through Advent, all that's going on in 2020? I hope there's a place for joy. I hope that we will allow in the midst of all of this gladness and and joy to overtake us, as as Isaiah said. It needs to overtake us, doesn't it? Because right now, maybe we're not feeling that joy and that gladness. But this baby boy, Jesus, would grow up And as he grew up, he would remind us, he says, guess what? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. This baby grew up and said that. He knew all that was going on. He knew knew 2020 was coming. He knew what your heart would feel this day, and he tells you, You will have that trouble. I'm not going to take it away, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And that's why he had to come. I went to two funerals this week and one visitation for someone that had passed away. And in each of these situations, the person that was being celebrated, their life was being celebrated, had at some point in their life grasp hold of that redemption of Jesus Christ. It was obvious as you heard, and I knew these people and it was true. You knew in their lives they had that redemption that Jesus had offered them. And it changed their earthly life. It changed them. And as they left their earthly bodies, as I, I looked into at least two caskets, there was a body there, but no longer was that person there. They had left that earthly body that had decayed It was no longer them because they were one step closer to redemption. And you know what? I saw joy in all of those families. Yes, there was sorrow. Yes, there was crying. Yes, there was this missing of their family member, especially this time of year. It's hard. But I saw that true, authentic joy, a gladness and a joy overtook these funerals and overtook even that visitation I went to because it was a celebration in each case instead of just simply... It's the end. No, it wasn't the end. And that's the hope of Advent. Advent should be a joyous celebration because our redemption has come. It has been done. And we should rejoice in that.